We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, it's time we finally have a serious conversation about how many minutes we're giving these people, how many minutes they're getting, because at some point it's going to be too many. And yes, I'm talking about Clive. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right, Clive. We got to worry about how many minutes we're putting into the larynx, into the vocal cords. Did the Ars cast today? Doing our podcast today? And you just have to say, it, does he have the larynx? Does he have the vocal cords? Does he have the the diaphragm? Does he have the lung power to be doing two pods in a day? I mean, it's this kind of thing that takes real top level management. And as a top level manager of this podcast, I can say he damn well does, and he's going to do it like it or not. So. Uh, that is my witty intro. We've got a lot to get to today. I think what we're going to do actually is we'll get into a little bit of the midweek results and what they mean for us and how the season's shaping out. Over on Patreon, we did, and I have to say thank uh, Matt at Giant Gooner, who just does two things brilliantly. One is tell us about these billionaires uh, because unfortunately he swims in those waters, or fortunately, I don't know, you could ask him. And two is break down the data for us. Scott obviously is our, our data guru. When it comes time to get into some proprietary data that Matt has access to, it gets really fun. And we did a quarter season data review that will really put some context into just how good we've been and maybe which teams are the ones to look out for and which aren't. So I do want to talk about the midweek results today and a little bit about where we think we might be in in the group of teams chasing uh, whatever various goals they might have. We'll, of course, break down the Thursday game against PSV, which was a dominant 1-0 victory if such a thing exists, and I submit that it does, and we'll look ahead to Southampton. So all of that on the horizon for you. Thank you so much for being here. We do love you, and I mean, how could we not love you with the season we're having? Everybody love everybody right now. That's all I say. So uh, here to love me with you is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posmo Pants. Hello, Paul. Woohoo! So... Are we the Europa League, or is that the Ars cast? I think you know the answer. I don't think it needs to be stated. <laughs> just and, and by the way, I mean you can t- just tell from the intro music, right? Um, okay, and Clive is on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, um, Paul. I will say you are now. We 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 spent probably twenty minutes in pre pre match 
warming up Clive's mic. Paul's mic is so hot. You're so, so loud right now. I don't know what happened. You just... Less cowbell? <laughs> it's so loud. You're so, so loud. <laughs> please, please be less loud. I'll, just turn I'll do it down. less cowbell. Just turn it down. Just turn it down. Um, okay. Okay. So um, let's start with just a little bit on on midweek. Well, we'll get to the game. The, the game is obviously we're here. We were at once upon a time called the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. I still say it, even though it's not really what we are exclusively anymore. We're so much more than that. We can take multitudes. But... Um, Clive, the the results midweek, I think, went for us. And the one that I'm happy with is Manchester United winning. And, you know, you might say, well, that's never a good thing. But the reason I'm happy is they beat Tottenham. And anytime Tottenham lose, it's great. But when I did the data review with Matt, the team that really, really stuck out in that group of seven at the top right now, and it is a big seven now. Just get used to it. It is a big seven. It is Arsenal, City, Chelsea, Liverpool, United, Spurs, Newcastle. And if you think Newcastle shouldn't be in that group, just wait, there's more. But Clive, the, the, the reason I like it is in that data set that we looked at, the team that's really very clearly hanging out at the bottom, kind of cut adrift and not really in that tier is United. United is the one that, that is there, but they're not playing like they should be there. So I'm happy to see United beat Spurs, knock them down a bit, and I'm not particularly concerned about them longer term. So how do you feel about that result in particular? I like getting distance between us and Spurs. It's time to finish ahead of them. So looking at it from a Spurs perspective, because they're the ones that are the mortal enemy, so what we try to do is we try to look at them as they accumulate points in a way that we feel is not very fair. And all of a sudden, they're like three, four points behind us by doing, feels like, half of the effort. You know, so... And Spurs are almost like emperor's clothes to me. Uh, I think people look at them through the eyes of the manager. They see the manager and say, he's a top-class manager. Spurs are going, wait till they get find their straps. Then the rest of the world are going to know about them. Well, we're a bit more educated now about football. We can see their underlying numbers. We can see where they are, what they're doing, where they're playing, what areas they're playing, what they're doing above their XG when they're having shots. We've got good information that allows us to potentially have a view into the future. So from a Spurs perspective, I was happy to see them lose the points because I want their myths to be stripped from them. Um, Manchester United, again, both teams are... Well, Spurs less so. Manchester United are work in progress. Um, they've got their new right winger in Anthony. They're still working out their centre midfield construction. Marcus Rashford is now playing centre forward. He really was a player off the left. They've got another seventy million pound winger likes playing off the left. So they got they've got issues there regarding fit and and melding them together. They never really get Martial and Rashford on the pitch. So I look at Manchester United and I just see holes. And also, I'm not even mentioned Ronaldo, for example, is happening off the pitch. And I know everyone said it, and I'm not going to say something unique here, but where they are in their development is so much of us a couple of years ago managing a superstar in the dressing room, trying to get people to fit together, a new manager mm-hmm. trying to impose himself, his playing style and his personality on a group of people that have seen managers off out of that dressing room. And so I'm not sure if Ten Hag has got the charisma to to achieve what he needs to achieve. But I think they need to make sure they give him the time to do so uh, with my football hat on. Um, do I fear them? The Manchester United, when they play at home, they can do bits. Uh, when they go away and the, and, the, and the light's not on them, they can throw in a, a Brentford really, really easily, right? So um, yeah. 
I, I think we are far more consistent than they are in, in, in many of the metrics. And I think not just the metrics, but with, with the eye test as well. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I, you know, I think with um, going through it with Matt the other day was really eye-opening in terms of just how far back they are in so many of the important metrics. And Paul, when I, you know, when I look at what we're trying to do this season, I feel like I'm straddling two goals because I have the stretch goal, as they call it, right? Which is the title. It sounds silly to say it, I know, but it is the stretch goal. Like you, you have to have stretch goals. And when you're in first a quarter of the way through the season, that should be a stretch goal. Very simple. Especially when the data says you belong there or roughly there along with City. Um, and then there's the the conservative goal, right? The minimum goal, which is top four. And so there's probably a third goal, which is just finally finish above Tottenham. And I see the midweek results as having been really helpful for that. Obviously, Chelsea failing to win at Brentford. And the more I look at results and the more I look at the way they go, I think people have to start rethinking also the way they talked about our early season, right? Oh, you beat Bournemouth. You know, they stink. Well, Bournemouth actually have gotten some results here and there. They've looked okay. You know, oh, Brentford, whatever. Well, you know, it turns out that that's not a team that you're going to roll over. And a lot, a lot of the things we did early in the season, other teams – have had a hard time doing, like Chelsea. So as far as the way these results went in midweek and where we're starting to shape up in the league, I mean, obviously West Ham weren't able to get points off Liverpool in what was a game, though, that emphasized just how poor Liverpool are defensively. I think it ended like 2.3 to 2.3 on XG. They just can't keep anything, keep the door shut at the back. So how do you how do you feel about how those midweek results went and how we're balancing the stretch goal of the title with the minimum goal, which is don't lose a top four position when it's all said and done. Yeah. So we seem to have, there's a cliche, if you don't win, don't lose. But our mm-hmm. cliche is if you don't win, don't draw. Um, we don't do draws. And I think there's something I'm still trying to work through, through there that's a bit different about us and other clubs. Mm. Um, everybody else is drawn. Um, and... When you think about the way we play and our fast starts, um, we kind of have a bit of a formula. And we get out to a fast start in both halves. We get a goal, by and large. Uh, we can't quite score at will, but we can certainly uh, get, a, get a goal, it seems, in the important periods of, of games. Or we've spent 2% of our season behind. Uh, which is way ahead of everybody else. And so we have a way of playing um, that is a little unique at the moment. And maybe it's a small sample size thing, but we kind of did it last year without producing as many goals. We were still very much the team the fastest, with the fast start, got a goal first. Um, you know, we only had three draws last year. Now, the difference between last year and this year is we could see why we would struggle to come back if somebody got a goal and sat deep. But we see there's way more goals in this team, way more threat, way more 1v1 dribbling capabilities. And so I think we're a different proposition that has sorted itself out after a good long preseason with... Uh, players played in, clear identity, etc. And the reason I'm talking about us rather than, if you like, your invitation to talk about those other teams is they're still working out who they are. You could go down the list 
Uh, Tottenham still working out what it is with Conte. Is he boxing clever? Is he really periodizing his season so that after the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. Miguel Delaney shared an article on Man City, how they've done that in the past and peaked for November and February. And he asked the question because it's been put to him, is that what they're doing? Now, he asked it with a certain skepticism, Mm. but like they will they will have one of a couple of kinds of seasons yet to be defined here man united are working out who they are i think it's a season too far for them to be consistent but i think if they stick with ten hag they'll be good next year chelsea are a little uh safe at the moment with potter but could hit a groove soon enough we saw with newcastle they were bad the first half of the season did a managerial change last year we're very good the second half of the season. But we're already off to the races. Have a formula. Know what we're doing. Start fast. Get our goals. Um, and so, and we've got it. We've jumped out to a lead. And yet it's a marathon this season. It's going to be how you pace yourself. And Chaka was interviewed after the game last night about, you know, managing yourself within a season and a few other things. And he said, you know, we now have... Under Arteta, we have a plan A, B, and C. And when the World Cup go, comes along, we'll probably work on coming up with a few more things. Like, yeah. I really think we have the cake baked at the moment, and the others are still working on what's the recipe. Mm, yeah, I, I think that's that's really well said. That's a good analogy, and I like cake. So everybody wins there. Um, should mention Steven Gerrard. Uh, gets the sack. No idea why. Doing a brilliant job for Villa and probably should have stuck around at least till they were relegated. But no, uh, he's I, gone. I hope yep. those um, screws in his hip don't uh, sting too much as he walks home alone. Um, <laughs> he, he has a lot not- of love in my heart for him after what he said about Saka and he just needs to soak up those 16 operations he's due across his career. Yeah, yeah. I um, I think he will find that he is very much walking alone at the moment and i am uh, as the kids say here for it yeah the the interesting thing midweek newcastle win again and clive as we sort of start to wrap this up and we'll we'll get to the arsenal game because this is the arsenal vision podcast the data had a couple of clear points to make one is that there's there's tier one tier one was city and arsenal and again all of this is in the the data review that i did with matt tier two was sort of Liverpool, actually, very much in there. Chelsea, but really leading Tier 2, or right there near the top of Tier 2, was Newcastle. And then you had Tottenham sort of at the back of it, and Man United even further behind that. Newcastle aren't someday going to be a top-four challenger. The day has arrived already. And if they decide they want to flex some financial muscle in January... The team is playing, at least statistically, like a top four side. I mean, ironically, they have one loss. They're, they're the opposite of us. They've got six draws, which is killing them. Um, but if they flex a little financial muscle, like this is a team that isn't a future top four team. They are spring-loaded to be there now. And I'm curious how you think about that. Because I just want to, can I read something off to you guys? This is cool. the top seven. Listen to this. Arsenal, City, Spurs, Chelsea, United, Newcastle, Liverpool. Every single one of those teams for the visible future is going to expect themselves to be a top four team when the season starts. And there they all are sitting in the top seven. Liverpool are like, oh, they're seventh. Wow, look at the teams they're behind. 
Newcastle, United, Chelsea, Spurs, City, and Arsenal. Every season, you're going to think we belong in the top four, and every season, you're going to have to get past three teams that also think they belong in the top four just to get there. The strength of this league is incredible, and it is going to really change how we build our expectations and think about what's realistic going forward. It's also why you got to walk through these doors when they're open for you, even a crack like it is for Arsenal right now. So, Clive, with Newcastle, where they sit right now and this changing face of the table, I don't think we're looking at some distant future. I think we're in the future right now. We could well be, and the numbers are telling us so. So, 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 what are they doing? You know, I was just had a look at them earlier. I listened to a podcast the other day, and I thought, let me have a look at Newcastle. What are they doing? And they're doing a little bit what we did, maybe with Kieran Tierney pushing up on high on the left hand side. They're sort of reversing it on the right hand side with Kieran Trippier, and they're playing almost like a back three with Botman, Shah, and Dan Byrne. And so they're rolling around right sided into a three, building up with a two in front and using Trippier to be an executioner in the last third. It makes a lot of sense. They're quite aggressive. They're, they're, they're pressing. They've got the home energy of the crowd that have just, you know, they've had, they've been living in the doldrums for half a decade, if not, if not longer under Mike Ashley and they suddenly feel free and the future feels absolutely bright. And so I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is interesting. And it's not an easy place to go. Eddie Howe, decent guy, good caliber about him. You know, I, I really like him actually as a, as a as a coach and how he goes about his job, how he treats people in the main. Um, so you look at him and think they're actually doing this in, in quite a nice way, bringing in Dan Ashworth. Uh, we know someone else personally they brought into the club as a CIO earlier um, yep. that used to be yep. at Arsenal. They're putting the right people into the club that are not trying to be overnight sensations. The fact they're taking their time actually concerns me. <laughs> if they add yeah, a level I, of, I know in, what you mean. Yeah, yeah. If they add they're, a level, they're not of, pulling a Todd Bowley, right? Drunk guy at the casino nah. just splashing the cash. <laughs> yeah, I'm not expecting <laughs> Rubinho to pop up in reception. Do you know what I mean? And I think <laughs> yeah, I that's that's, yep. in, that's important. You know, so so yeah, I, I think they are wise. They they're looking a bit wise to me. You know, even the first phase of their recruitment, someone like Dan Byrne, who's a a local lad. Bring him in, you know. Uh, Trippier, basically somebody that spent most of his career up north. Bring him in to the environment, a leader. They've been smart. Bruno's a smart buy. Makes you wonder why Arsenal didn't. There must be a story there to be told, um, because he looks like a really good player. The reposition, them. yeah, yeah. The reposition of Joe Linton, excellent. Joe Willock fits that group. You know, even buying Isaac, although he's injured, as a backup for Callum Wilson, when Callum Wilson wasn't there, they'd fall away. Now Isaac's there, similar body, similar profile, similar injury rate by the sound of it. But um, but you can see you can see it, can't you? You can see it with a couple of smart, maybe a, another wide man uh, that's, that's versatile, another centre mid, and a bit more quality, uh, potentially left back and centre half. And they're there. Right, they've got the England goalkeeper in goal. They're not far away, are they? They're not far away, and um, they're not short of a few pennies. Right, so one to watch, one to watch. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But I, I think we are in for a bit of a an, a rude awakening if we don't update our understanding of the league and the expectations and the way the league is shaping up because with with these seven teams already having established themselves in that top seven position, 
it's just going to be a jockeying for positions within that. And it's just going to get harder and harder. The league is stacked. And oh, by the way, that doesn't include the other teams that are in the league that might have a season where they pop up and get things right and do okay and want to jostle into that group. The points just aren't going to be easy to come by. And that's why I have to scoff at anybody who looks at us and is like, oh, you haven't played anybody. You're playing in the Premier League. You're playing somebody every weekend. So (laughs) there is no you haven't played anybody in this league. I am fascinated to see Spurs host Newcastle this weekend because that, you know, that is one where I think Spurs are going to find out, you know, F around and find out. They're going to find out, I think, that actually um, Newcastle are better than them. And then Chelsea host United this weekend. It's another weekend where if we can take care of business, the stretch goal, that's something we can worry about as time goes by. But the the immediate goal, the goal of finishing top four, you know, that one's going to start to feel... I don't, not comfortable, but really, really good here, especially depending on how these results go this weekend. So, you know what I would say? Here's the way I would say it right now, at least for this season. Can I, can I, can I go with everything's coming up Arsenal, right? I'm going to go Millhouse for a minute. Everything's coming up Arsenal. Everything's coming up Arsenal right now. It just, it just feels that way. And there are these moments in seasons where you're like, wow. It, this is happening. You know, Liverpool have fallen away. Their defense has just become a sieve all of a sudden. And, you know, teams are taking points off teams you wouldn't expect it. And we're, we've won 13 out of 14 and everything's coming up Arsenal. So it is a beautiful thing. And Paul, everything came up Arsenal on Thursday as well. This is one of those games that if you only watched it in periods or, you know, you were half watching it while you're scrolling the internet or you just looked at the result, you may think, uh, a struggle, but we got it done. There was no struggle to this game. There was no struggle. This was as dominant a performance as we have produced all season, in my view, in many respects. We changed it up a bit. I think we wound up like 2.3 or 2.4 XG to like point something, point three. 25 shots to four, 62% possession. I thought PSV were going to be the challenge, right? There are teams in the Europa League you come up against every once in a while, and you're like, oh, that's that's a competent team. They're a cromulent uh, opposition for us. They were not. They were not in this game. They they got pushed back. They had none of the ball. They had none of the chances. And really, I'd say maybe for the first half hour, we were sterile domination. And then for the next hour, we just battered them. And we couldn't get our, you know, we didn't have our finishing boots. But in the end, you know, we find the goal. It's enough to win it. It's Shaq's right peg. Of course it is. What else would it be? And and we get through. I'm curious if you saw the game in the same way I did, first and foremost, just that this was a, a dominant arsenal, not a struggling arsenal. Yeah, I think we battered them. I think early on uh, we battered them till we got to the box and we weren't quite finding our patterns. It was interesting because after the uh, in the press conference afterwards, Arteta was asked why he put uh, Eddie on the wing instead of central. And he said, because it only required one change. In other words, he didn't need to move Jesus left and right, Eddie right. through the mm-hmm. middle. One one change for the other players. And I think that's kind of a key with Europa leagues, right? You can put lots of good players out there, but it's always a little different to what the rest of the team is used to wherever they're standing. And so I think the first part of the game was us playing really well till we got to the box and we didn't have our patterns down. And then as the game settled in 20 minutes or so, uh, actually, they had a few. They probably had a ten-minute minute spell when they were in the game, 
in the middle of that first half and then we settled back into it again and mm -hmm. from there we looked like we had thread in the box and for the rest of the game we still didn't quite have our finishing boots but I think that's just uh, I always feel there's a little bit of a a Europa League or Champions League groups group stage we might as well start preparing ourselves mentally yeah. for that mm -hmm. um, where it doesn't have the same precision in the box that you might be looking for and yeah. we didn't quite have it here, but it was a really good performance. Um, the other really interesting, like when you look at the lineup, uh, I'm sure we're concerned about having players like Gabriel Jesus and Sake in the lineup. Mm -hmm. And I loved wh what Arteta said. I loved, loved, loved it because he was asked afterwards, you know, Saka, are you, are you wearing him out? And he says, um, where is his quote here? Look at the top players in the world. They play 70 matches every three days and make the difference and win the game. You want to be at the top, you have to be able to do that. And if we start to put different things in the mind of a young player, I think we are making a huge mistake because then he would be like, no, I don't want to play. No, AstroTurf, I don't play. I don't want that. I want them to be ruthless every three days. I want them knocking on my door saying, I want to play, I want to win the game. Now, that's the attitude he wants his, within his team. It doesn't mean he, he personally plans to play them 17 course, yeah. no, games I, a season. He wants that mentality. That's yeah. the mentality he wants to cultivate. Yeah. yeah, but he can't ask for that mentality and then do the opposite. Like, right. I, I know we have different preferences. You have the way you react to lineups. I know Clive is protective of Saka and our younger players and doesn't want players overburdened i just come from it from a different place my experience of my limited experience when i look at uh, teams and squads there are you could divide squads into three parts there are players who can go and go and go every game and they get stronger and unless they have some kind of cataclysmic injury run the fuckers into the ground yeah. within reason with yeah, some science, they have their people around them who manage them. And I think we're very, very nervous about players we should not be nervous about. They get stronger. They get sure. better. They get in a rhythm. They want to. What, like, if you're a professional football and you played on Saturday or Sunday, what do you think you feel like doing by Wednesday or well, Thursday? Look, you I, want to play. It's not that they either play in the Europa League or they'd be sitting at home with their feet up, right? They'd, yeah. they'd be probably in fairly intense training session. I'm guessing, I don't know this, but I'm guessing Thursday in a week where there's no midweek game is a fairly, probably their last really intense training session of the week. I don't know that, but I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to bet it's it's up there. Um, my, my only thing, the funny thing is I don't actually disagree with you, Paul, except to say that you as a manager, you have to look for every marginal gain you can find. You know, if you're City, you, you may not need as many marginal gains because your talent alone should be enough. If you're Arsenal, you need to squeeze every marginal gain out. So if you can say, look, my marginal gain is the teams I'm up against are playing their starters in really tough games on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. I'm going to get to rotate just a bit more than they will. And come April, that's going to give me just 10% more than they have. And yep. that's going to be the difference. So I'm not saying don't but play But also, them. what if it's a marginal loss, right? What if doing that actually subtracts a little from the player? Yeah. Uh, hey, can I, can I, can I level yeah. you? I'm not saying that's not the case. Yeah. I'm saying the, the manager needs to weigh those things and yeah. needs to make an accurate determination. And ultimately, 
again, we can never know this. And what they do have is, this is why my, my opinions have evolved slightly. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I may have been more dogmatic, but we know the sports science behind the scenes is more advanced now, that they have access to more data than they ever have, that the understanding of things like periodization have gotten more advanced. So I am more inclined to trust that these decisions are driven by some good data and not just my players play every three days because it's the right mentality. I don't think this is just blood and thunder. I think there's, there's science behind it. So Clive, a couple things on this game. First, you were there. So I'm curious to get your sense of how the, the atmosphere on a Thursday was versus the atmosphere at a weekend. I mean, much like the players may have a hard time lifting themselves coming off Spurs and coming off Liverpool, and then it's Thursday Europa League. D did the crowd have the same struggles? Did you find that atmosphere-wise, it took a bit to get going? Uh, a little bit. Um, I was busy myself before the game, so it took me a while to connect to it. I didn't have my normal drinks and normal things I have. But it was a six o'clock kickoff, right? And No excuses, thinking, play like a champion, come on. Yeah, I was thinking, <laughs> I wonder what the attendance is going to be like, you know? Um, it wasn't an easy ticket to get, I'll tell you that for nothing. And um, mm, yeah. I had to refresh, 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 and I got it. And when I got into the ground, it was full. You know, it was full. And I was a few latecomers because of people coming from work. But it was it was full. The atmosphere was was right there. I think um, sometimes the lack of the last two home games I've been to have been Liverpool and and Tottenham, right? Two amazing games that will stay with me for many a year. And then you come to this game, and there isn't the same contest. There isn't the same jewels going over the whole of the pitch. Said this last night, and I think the lack of the contest, the collision, maybe made it a less broken field two-way game, a bit more of a structured game of the passing around a mid to low block, getting to the outside, waiting for the gap, and then going. Our shot numbers were good. We did they were a little bit intimidated by us. And eventually the crowd sort of in the second half, it's like the crowd said, okay, we need a bit of help here. And everyone just started to just just everything got a bit louder and a bit quicker and the team responded and yep. we eventually scored the goal. So, you know, this was a test for the new Arsenal, shall we say? The new atmosphere, the new feel the good feelings that we all feel. And I'll tell you, it's still there. It's still there. And as I went into the the club level lounges afterwards and went to go and get a drink to do the recording, it was packed in there. No one wanted to leave. No one wanted to stay. And it, it, all the pubs were full because the game fees a bit earlier. Yep. It's a good place to be, and it's not changing anytime soon. And that's that's the truth. Yeah, and, and ultimately, I think we were treated to some fun football, if not the goals we deserve. Five big chances. Five big chances missed. I mean, it's kind of night it was. Look, I'll stick with you for a second, Clyde, but I, I do want to do something in... It's not my nature to want to lecture the listeners. It's not my nature to want to lecture uh, Ars Blog. It isn't my nature to want to lecture Paul. I'm going to lecture all of you for a minute. And maybe I'll just speak to Andrew directly. I, I read some difficult and troubling things in, in the Ars Blog about Van Nistelrooy being likable in his uh. pre-match press conference. That is absolutely unacceptable talk. If you got to not listen to that, if you got to memory hold that, if you got to use the flashy neuralizer thing for men in black, you do what you got to do. None of this Van Nistelrooy is likable talk. Absolutely. Get out with that stuff. Okay? <laughs> so if you found yourself finding him likable, take a quiet moment of reflection. 
and memory hole that, and let's get back to business hating Rude Van Nistelrooy. It's one of those things we are obliged to do. The greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing us he doesn't exist. Exactly. Rude Van Nistelrooy. <laughs> can I? Can I just? <laughs> All right. Listen, can I? Clive. Can I just add to yeah, this? Yeah, because I was fortunate enough to be in a press conference last night, so it was a very instructive moment for me to see how people are, see the people that do this job Lovely for real. Duh, press conferences yeah. now. Look uh, at him. To see to see how people go about their work, you know, and really, you know, bumped into James and Kaya in the room and had a mm-hmm. chat. And um, thanks, Amy, for getting me in there. So, yes, all good. Arteta walks in, right? He walks into the room. And i got to say, he has presence. He has real presence about him. This is a fanboy talking. I'm not a child. He walks into a room and he brings something there. And he's, he's a very intense individual that understands every word he's going to say and how he's going to say it and how it's going to be received. The guys in there are obviously used to him, um, but I thought the answer in Saka was so, so instructive. You know, that that was a that was a big moment in the room and you felt that, right? So, Ruud van Nistelrooy brought up hating him, absolutely hating him. I cannot stress this enough, right? Um, I absolutely hating him. And I'm with Paul... He walked in the room. He was so Don't nice. Talk. He was so. Have, he he was so. He was not just nice. He's a good guy. He, he was patient. He he understands Arteta what he's doing from a coaching perspective. The respect is there. Know. He respected the club. He respected everything about it. And I walked away thinking, "Wow, do not judge a book by the by the cover you are presented with." It'd be interesting watching his career, actually. What the fuck? <laughs> no, no, seriously. Uh, no, 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 no. We're not reinventing Ruben Nistelrooy. Let, let's see. Glasses now. He just, he looks oh. totally different. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a career I'll be watching, you know, to see what he does with his team. I'm pulling his team, for him. His team. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> his team was a bit intimidating. You need to watch some, you, you know what? You know what we're doing? Our next rewatch, Clive, we're going to watch some of those United games. Okay. Yeah. From Van Nistelrooy's ear. We're going to get you back on track. We're gonna, you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be well, like... You know um, I don't do Schadenfreude. Uh, you know I can't do it, right? So um, I'm not know. talking about Schadenfreude. I'm talking about getting the hatred back. We got we to gotta put that hatred back in you. It's going to be like... Um, uh, what's it called? The the movie, the viol- the violence, the, the where they make him, they pull his eyes back and the make him watch <laughs> I don't watch stuff. movies. Clockwork, Clockwork Orange. Orange. Clockwork Orange. <laughs> where they make him watch. I'm going to make you watch... Those, those. You know, I remember. I remember them all. I remember the stamp on Ashley Cole. I mean, I may. Uh, they're burned in my brain. Burned in my brain. However, I've okay, compartmentalized okay. Mm-hmm. and compartmentalized. Yeah, as a yeah. coach, he's interesting. Um, the respect he played Arsenal was 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 obvious. And um, so, yeah, Paul, I'm and with you, brother. Fake. That's what, Yeah, no. that was yeah. the thing about him. He was okay. very genuine and sincere. Uh, like genuinely this is, sincerely. This is going a place. I, I, I'm I'm playing the host card. We're not going this direction, Clive. More importantly, um, we won and we beat him, and he's sad. So let's just leave that part leave of the chat there. at that. And and Paul, um, I you know I I think you know we did the instant reaction and we do our stock rising, stock falling thing. And let's let's start with maybe the not the negative, but the the weaker component of the game. And then we can we can talk about some of the things that were uh, really encouraging. I thought. Look, we all know that right now Thomas Party is playing a role that is probably the least replaceable in terms of alternative options. And the player that wants to be playing, 
<clears throat> that's expressed that he wants to be playing. Did an interview recently where he talked about wanting to be playing, and I thought some of his quotes were ex excerpted from that interview, maybe in a misleading way, but still pretty clear that he wants to be playing. We saw it in the All or Nothing thing. That's, that's Sammy Lakanga. Every player should want to play. I want my players to be desperate to play and frustrated when they're not. But there's a right way to go about it and a wrong way to go about it. I don't really want to debate that so much. I'd rather debate the way you earn it. And that's by going out there and looking like you're ready to be called upon that role. And unfortunately, I think this was another performance from Sambi where I wouldn't say he did anything wrong per se. He had a couple of passes he gave away kind of sloppily. But it is the attention to detail, being in the right spaces. You know, I, I find that when he passes the ball, he watches it. Instead of moving, you know, start start here, pass there, move here. He doesn't do that last piece all the time. And in general, I just think the tempo of the passing is not great. I said this on the instant reaction, but the player that's starting to come into my mind, Paul, is Danny Ceballos. Ceballos is a very, very talented player. Very talented. On the ball, he can do great things. But something about the way he moves and the way he switches on off space and the intensity of his play and the, the tempo of his passing, he just couldn't quite fit Arsenal, despite being a very talented player. And now when I watch Sambi, I can't get this Ceballos comp out of my head because I think he's got good close control, nice soft feet, can, you know, has a range of passing. I'm just not sure all the pieces fit together at the level you need to be at Arsenal. That doesn't mean you're not a good player, but I'm not, I'm not seeing it at the moment. I'm not reaching conclusions, but I'm curious if the analysis I've just sort of rambled on about with no specific direction for the past 90 <laughs> seconds or so uh, resonated with you in any particular way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, um, I think on the ball, he has the skills and abilities to grow into this kind of a player. Uh, we still, I really think, ideally, he's a second pivot, right? <clears throat> he's that classic Chaka role we remember from a year or two ago, ago where he's... Not the DM, but he's the guy beside the DM. He's a 6'8", uh, can do a bit of both, um, and is a young guy. Mm -hmm. And so he's been asked to use, do the 6 rather than the 8 we saw him starting to do in preseason, the, the new Chaka role. Um, and I think we were warming to the idea he might actually grow into that kind of a player, and that might still be the right answer for him. I think his emotional landscape um, is such that he's not at this point in his career and maybe never doesn't have that the gritty aspect you uh, you associate with being the deepest player who's going to get pressed, who's going to get pushed, barged. When Party came on in this game, uh, there were two, three, four situations where he was challenged in midfield. Push, pushes his challenger out of the way, spins them, takes the ball, wins the ball. And it's not just a size thing. Arteta used to play this role. He won all his duels. Now, maybe he didn't win all of them, but he pretty much always came out with the ball. He, he was, you know, he's one of those guys, low to the ground, uh, solid enough, quick enough feet. But, like, that intensity he brings to the... Press conferences was an intensity he brought to being the deepest man on the pitch, even if he were the smallest man in midfield. So it's not just a physicality, which, of course, party can bring. It, it's, it's a do you want that job? Do you want all sides of, of the job? Not just the, 
are you pretty good on the ball? Can you spot a pass? Can you make a pass? I can. I think he can do all of that well enough. I know mm. about the pace of the pass and the intensity even with the ball. and like. <clears throat> but I think part of what's holding him back there is the other side of the job, which is he hasn't warmed, and I've used this analogy before, Ben White is not the most centre-backy looking centre-back in the world, mm. but he fucking loves the duel. He loves the battle. That's why a player like Lissandro Martinez is starting to be less funny these days. He's a narky little bollocks, right? He loves that position on the pitch. He just yeah. loves the battles, the duels, winning them. And I'm not saying Sambi has none of that, but he's in a part of the pitch where when somebody comes barreling into you, you need to love making him look like a fool, like leaving him in your dust you need to love the physical, the gritty, the battle, the, and he hasn't warmed to that. And I don't know what all the reasons might be and what he might be in a few years' time. But now he's still pretty good with the ball. And but I think I've I've also said I think he's very smart. And people say, well, why? What about him makes you think he's smarter intelligence? I don't know. <clears throat> no idea. But I do think he's smart and intelligent. But you only learn the job and the role if you really want it. I'm sure he can get the positional discipline, the smarts, where to be, what to be. But only if you live, eat, eat and breathe it. You hear all these stories about young players going to bed with a football under their arm, having a football with them all. Like, you got to live it. And if Sambi doesn't really want that position on the pitch, he's not going to learn all the things, develop into all the things. So... I, it's just a it's a soft factory critique of him, but mm -hmm. I think he can be more than he is for us as a as a DM, and he just doesn't seem to embody <clears throat> that desire to DM the fuck out of it. Yeah, I, so I'm going to take a slightly different direction here, and I hope people won't get mad at me for this. Like one of the things that we do because we're supporters is we support our players, and we we see the best in them, and we want the best for them. And that's great because as supporters, it's all we're asked to do. We don't have to do anything else. I think as a club, you have to be able to fail fast. And that means that you don't always wait too long for a player to arrive into what you hope they will be. Now, if you've got a 19-year-old who's on the fringes of the team and you can use them here and there, okay, great. But if you've got a player who's already making noises about wanting to play, who you can see feels his career needs to blossom and take off. You got to make some decisions. You got to decide is Sambi Lakanga going to be a starting player for Arsenal in the future or not? And right now, the answer is he is not. That doesn't mean he never could. But I don't know that we want to be in the business of someday. I don't think as a football club you can afford to be in the business of someday. If Sambi wants his career to flower and blossom and he wants to go play and he wants to be a starter, as it stands right now, that's not who he is for Arsenal. It's not going to be as an eight. I know a lot of people say, I just, well, maybe he's just not a six. He's, he wasn't bought to be an eight. He was bought to be the party heir. He's not. We have Vieira as an eight. We have Odegaard as an eight. We have Smith-Rowe who could be an eight. Hell, I mean, we got Saka and guys who, if we need an eight, probably going to start in front of him. We're looking at other players in the market that can play eight. I think you got Charlie Patino coming back who's going to be a six or an eight. This is not Samuel Conga's job for the future. And Clive, like... That's not me saying he's a bad player and we should rule him out. But I, I think football clubs and players 
need to be willing to make faster decisions and determinations about the suitability of a player for a role because their careers are shortened. They want to go play and flower and blossom, as I've said, and we want to get better. And we need to make decisions about what's the party, what's the party succession plan. We don't have one right now. So we can't just wait and wait and wait and find out if he eventually arrives to be that. So again, I'm not saying you just, hey, one one performance, let's start summing up players. He's been here a little bit now. We've seen him play a little bit now. And at some point, you got to decide, is this is this your succession plan? And at the moment, at least at number six, Clive, I don't think you could say it's a succession plan to go with it. Yeah, let's bring some, let's bring some thoughts into our thought process, shall we? So I, I, I expressed thoughts. I'm not saying they were good thoughts. I'm just saying they were thoughts. I don't want to be I'll just bring some additional thoughts Technically speaking, in. thoughts. Uh, I had some feelings. In. I shared yeah. feelings. Yeah, yeah. All right, bring bring the uh, thoughts, Clive. I'll bring some th- extra thoughts. I'm sure that's the right word. If Tim was here, he would be correcting me already. So basically, mm-hmm. um, when and then he went down. What did we What did we do? Did we try to get a a a number six player in Douglas Louise? We probably did. We we pivoted, didn't we? Um, mm-hmm. We told you potentially what we were after. Um, if an El Nenny was playing at the moment. He'd be playing six, and Sambi would be rotating with Shaka in the eight, in my opinion. The last time I saw you two in the flesh, we were sitting at a game end of last season, the Everton game. What happened in that game? What position did Sambi play towards the end of that game? We thought it was quite instructive. We wondered if that was going to be his position for next year. Because of what's happened to Elneny, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it. And when I watch Sambi play, I see a player that's trapped in his position having to do the functional stuff, the stuff that we ridicule El Nenny for, the the, you know, the release valve, bounce board stuff, keep it moving, keep it moving, and please don't move away from that spot because you're incredibly important to our structure and how stable we are. Yeah. And Sambi likes to carry and drift. You mentioned Sabayas, you mentioned Granduzzi in the past. Would you put any of those two in front of the back four? You no. wouldn't, would you? Because they want to drift. Because they're not they're, good players. They're just, they want to drift. And position. So Sambi's mm-hmm. trying incredibly hard to stand still, right? And um, and funny enough, yesterday, towards the end of the game, when I was watching him, and he started to carry the ball through the line slightly and then play the pass, everything looked easier for him. And the player that can carry and then let the, the picture change in front of him is the player that I think he wants to be. And he wants to have close proximity around him because mm-hmm. he's a drifter. He drifts He drifts around people. He drifts the ball to people and cuts the angle. And I think these are things that we saw last year and we haven't seen much of it this year. And I think he's playing to structure. And I'm trying to give him, I'm trying to caveat this, Elliot, because I also think the Thomas party is so good factor is making us all worried, and the gap between them is significant. But I said this earlier, the gap between Thomas Party and anyone right now, to my opinion, in the league, is significant. The way he plays that role is a joke. Yeah. When he came on yesterday, just, just the direction of his shoulders when the ball comes to him, you know where the next pass is going. It's definite. Use me. and my, Even my body shape is telling you what's happening next. Move. There's no coincidence that a couple of adults came on the pitch and then we scored. Once Odegaard and Party came on, the game just changed and that was that. There was nothing wrong with what we were doing. We were very wasteful in, in the box, as you know. But when they come on, chance made, both involved, goal. Do you know what I mean? Timing back, overlap, 
overload, cost back, goal. And it, they and they, they did that fifty percent jogging. Yeah, you know. And Sambi's reaching. He's twenty three. Tom's party's twenty nine. Is it a comparison? Is it a fair comparison? I'm not sure. My big worry, as I said before, is is the kid feeling a little bit disengaged and not trusted, and is that affecting his engagement in the group? And that's purely speculation. Just from what I see, um, I want to see a bit more oomph. Um, personally, yeah. uh, regardless of what position, just a bit more oomph. Look, we, we're supporters. If you're listening to this and you're like, I'm back in Sambi. I'm not giving up on him. Absolutely. The debate isn't about whether we should back our players, right? It's about what the club needs to do to push this quote-unquote project forward. And the game waits for no man. We, you know, it, it is a question of how long a team can stick with a direction before they've waited too long and backed themselves into a corner. And like, I thought Ceballos was going to be the guy I because I saw the talent in his feet. But he wasn't the guy. And to be fair, like, Awobi is a good example of a guy we cut bait with. And now he's blossoming a couple seasons later. Could we have waited until now to get a blossoming Awobi? I guess we could have, but we sold him for good money. He's gone on and his career has taken a really good direction for him. And oh, by the way, it was really that move that pulled Saka into the team and started his development as a first-team player. So <clears throat> there are there's a virtuous circle to players moving to where they need to be, making room for other players to come into where they're going to be. And this isn't a is Sambi a good player debate? This is, does Sambi suit the role that we kind of need to fill? And if you're going to say, no, he actually suits eight better, I would ask you, if Granite Shaka wasn't available at the weekend, do you think Sambi would start or Vieira would start? Because I think Vieira would start. And if Emil Smith-Rowe was fit, I think Emil Smith-Rowe would be, would be starting. So as it stands right now, if El Elneny was fit, I think Sambi would be third choice at six and third choice at eight. And that player doesn't strike me as someone who's going to tolerate that situation. And that's fair. It's his career. <clears throat> we just have to decide how we want to handle that. I want to get into the players that deserve some flowers from this Thursday game and, and flowers generally. And then we can look quickly to Southampton before all this is done. But I also want to make a, another important point here. And you know, this is something that I think everyone should think about. Because we're talking about getting the most talent in your squad. You really need to be thinking about getting the most talent in your business. You need to be thinking about that. You're like, well, I don't have a business. Well, start a business and then start thinking about how you're going to hire. Or think about how you're going to get hired. I mean, you know what's a really thriving industry right now? Staffing. Staffing companies. Is your business ready to pay a big amount of money for someone else to go get you talent? You don't need to do that. Because Indeed's going to do it for you. It's a hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has uh, instant match and assessments and virtual interviews. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers, over 80% find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. <clears throat> Let's talk virtual interviews for a second. The talent pool is deep, <clears throat> and you want to recruit from all over, right? If Arsenal just recruited from their catchment area in London, that'd be nice. But where are we going now? We're going to Brazil. We're going all over the world. You need to be finding talent all over the world. And virtual interviews allows you to do that. You don't have to bring people into your home office. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. There's no installations or downloads or things like that. You can do it right from your browser. After using Indeed virtual interviews, most employers said it saved them days of hiring time, according to Indeed data. And I'm guessing it expanded the talent pool quite a bit. 
Okay, Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why you sponsor a job. You only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database that match your job description. Their database. I don't have a database, obviously. Visit Indeed.com slash vision to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash vision. Indeed.com slash vision. Terms of disreply. Cost per application person not available for Need to hire? Get in it, Is that enough of that? <laughs> Indeed. Get it. <laughs> Clive, can we please do something I've been dying to do for years? For years, really. Can we give Granite Shaka some flowers for God's sakes? You know, there are times when you have players that you just feel like you know down to their DNA. And I feel like we've had Shaka long enough and we've watched Shaka long enough that I knew him down to his DNA. Deep lion playmaker, when the game's in front of him, he can ping some long passes out to the wings, a little slow-footed, tackles with his arms, loses his temper sometimes. He's not press-resistant, but he can, he's got a good range of progressive pass. I knew him down to his DNA, and he's playing like effing Lionel Messi at the number eight this season, Clive, and God bless him. He was the best player on the pitch again against PSV. He scores a beautiful goal with his right peg. The love is being shown to him. And I think it's taken a burden off him. He plays with a lightness now. He still has the intensity and the focus and the quality. There is something happening here. And like every once in a while, a player surprises you and metamorphosizes into something that you didn't see coming. Sometimes that happens at 23 or 24. It's happening to Shaq at 30. This isn't me saying he was never good, trying to defend my priors. This is me saying what he is right now is a totally different thing. Maybe it's more the thing he was for Switzerland. I don't know. I can't say I haven't watched him enough there to be sure. But Clive, he was he was brilliant again on Thursday, and he deserves all the flowers, all the plaudits, all the love he's getting, and I'm here to give it to him as well. Yeah, I've, I've been trying to retire him for years and, and upgrade <laughs> him and always praising him in the back of my mind thinking, we need better than you, mate. <laughs> And, uh, and and so my, what I've said out loud is one thing, but I'm thinking, okay, we need to improve that position. What do we need to do to us to, to, us to go up a level? And he just keeps sticking it straight back at us, right? And um, mm-hmm. there was a point this season that I, I'm going to quote myself, even though it was, it was a bad quote. Um, I watched him play one of the preseason games, and I just thought, he's receiving the ball back to goal a lot. That's not going to work for us. It's not going to work. We need to look at someone like Lucas Paqueta. If we're going to have someone doing that, have someone like Paqueta, he was linked to us at the time, who's good back to goal, more of an attacking eight, but can work backwards. We need to get someone like that in. But then I was watching Shaka last night, playing back to goal, playing on the half turn, dancing around the ball, arriving in the box, laughing, smiling, kicking people on the touchline. No one cares because he's playing well. There's none of that sigh when he got when he's smashing someone. It's like, ah, oh, I got there a bit late. Don't worry, lads. I'm not getting the red. My head's on. You know, and um, it's just, it is, it is really good to see him develop like this. And he's also a, a very, very good athlete. He really is. Mm. I know people will, will laugh when I say that. He's not quick. But he, being... A good athlete, being mechanically not too bad, means you can play regular. And Touchwood, there's a reason why he doesn't get injured because of how he lives, how he trains, and what he does off the pitch, right? And so, for me, he's a good athlete, good professional. The man if you look has at, an engine. Yeah, oh, he certainly does, mate. And if you look at the three captains in the club at the moment, in Odegaard, Jesus, and Shaka, when they play 
they give it to the maximum. So back to the point when Paul was quoting Arteta earlier, you know, bring it every three days. Bring it absolutely everything you've got, whether it's Zurich, whether it's PSV, or whether it's Liverpool. You've got to bring it. You gotta you gotta bring your top, top level. And Shakra epitomizes that. And yeah, I I'm pleased that my my retirement plans for him have to be delayed. Um and if anything, you know. Back to Sambi again. He should be. He's. He may be a bit discouraged. But between Party and Shaka and, and Odegaard, there's no room at the inn. There really isn't, you know. And that can affect you in different ways, right? So um, that's professional football, elite level, big money. You got to go and rip the shirt of people's backs. If you can't do it, man up and try and rip the shirt of somebody else's back, you know. And that's what you got to do. And um, at the moment, no one's taking Shaka's shirt off him. No one. No, I agree. And, you know, it's it's the goals he's getting, it's the assists he's getting, it's the positions he's taking up, it's everything about him. I mean, he just has been brilliant. He had a, a flick to Jesus in this game off the back of his heel, like kind of turned it into Jesus's path. I mean, he's just pulling things out of the bag now that he, he didn't, maybe he always had him in his game and he couldn't show him in the positions he was playing. But we've, we've taken a responsibility off him in a way, right? He doesn't have to be our only path to getting the ball up the pitch under immense pressure, you know, with of midfielders bearing down on him. And I think maybe he's having a little more fun doing it too. So long may it continue. I want to shift gears, Paul, because I, w- I want to move the conversation forward here. Another player who maybe doesn't even get as mu- enough credit as he deserves is Bukayo Saka. When Arsenal need to start putting their foot on the gas in games. Bukayo Saka is often the guy who helps make that happen by beating a man, turning them inside out, getting the ball at the pitch, finding a way you know, into the box from tricky positions. You know, We are one of the most dribbling teams in the league. Our dribble success rate, I think, is top in the league. I think we have the most successful dribbles in the league uh, per 90. And Martinelli and Saka really are, are a crucial part of that. Uh, Jesus is as well. But like when you look at goal probability added in this game, Saka was like literally off the chart and everybody else was like a mile behind. And it really, it really jumped out to me. And and yet, when the moment was begging, right, he misses the one-on-one. You know, fine. And then later in the game when we're winning, he took a shot on when he could have maybe slid it across. I still think that Saka can go up a level if he just finds that coolness when he's totally in, when he has time to think about what he wants to do. But in every other way, I think he shows leadership in the way he he adds propulsion to our game when it needs it. I thought this was another great performance from him. And I'm curious how you balance his his ability to be so dynamic and so important with maybe even another level he can go to when it comes to that final decision in front of goal. Yeah, he absolutely has another level to go to on the finishing side. He's pretty good. Um, But it's the only area of his game that you don't say, oh, that's world-class. Everything else... He's a worldie. He's just been on a flight to the Ballon d'Or uh, with, with for the young folks um, <clears throat> headed over there with uh, Beth Mead. Um, back for Europa League on a Thursday. It'll be Champions League next year, hopefully. Um, like he's just a star. He's a star for us. Uh, he's a, he's becoming a star in world football. Every aspect of his game is brilliant. You get the ball to him. 
does he he almost never loses it he can dribble with both feet he protects the ball he keeps it so close to him you know martinelli does the opposite he dangles it for other people to dive in on and and they get it but he takes it back off them or he it, it gets bobbled and in that chaos he comes through it like they just they're kind of pull differences in terms of how they get the dribble done uh sack is just so clean uh there was that moment uh late, later on in the second half where uh, he's over by nearer the corner flag and his marker the fullback or whatever is all over much bigger uh pushing him shoving him and saka just spins him around with his body low to the ground pushes past him into the box he's clear he does that so often in every game if you don't give him respect and like all of that is pulling their defense towards him and opening opening up opportunities for his counterparts inside him be it and now that ben white is learning to overlap it like okay he wasn't starting this game but we've seen it in in many games recently where ben white is becoming more and more of a two-way option the inverted tucked in uh second half of a game maybe we need to liven things up so he still starts going bombing past they're getting their timings right Odegaard's getting their timings and so like one of the things he lacked in this game was uh Vieira was playing and maybe it wasn't best uh, Vieira's best game but it's just that familiarity the triangles going I think Enkadi has suffered a little bit with the triangles on his side too building up those and understandings with Tierney and that's one of the things you'll get in Europa League games even though the players on the pitch are like oh well that that could be pretty much a a first team well everything's just a little different and it takes time to fill in I thought Saka was absolutely fantastic in this game apart from the finishing thing he should be curling those in you know we've seen Anthony curling them into the far corner and it it griffs my chaff or something I don't know there's probably an expression but pisses me off but like he's a one-trick pony well maybe he's got two tricks but not much more chaka's got or sorry saka's got like a thousand tricks he just needs to add in the far post curler that's fully died dialed in fully calibrated he's got all the skills to do it and it's just that that cold blood flowing through his veins when he gets into that spot in the box his ability, his ability to cut inside somebody, Aryan Robin style, even though that they know they're going to, that he's going to do it. You know, he's got all of that. He he decides when he makes that move, and he'll leave them cold. So he's just got to dial that in. Uh, yeah, he's fantastic, and he'll get fantasticer. Yeah, I mean, th- this game, Clive. It's so hard, right? Because like, you could look at this game any number of ways. But I, I'm sorry, when I look at the data, when I look at what I saw, I just think we battered them and. We just didn't have our shooting boots on. Are you getting any worry about the Gabriel Jesus, you know, finishing chances thing going on? I mean, I know when we got him, one of the things on him was, oh, he's not, he's not a top quality finisher. He's going to miss chances. I, I think he's about as good as they get in almost every way, but he didn't have his, he didn't have the finish in this game. The way he beats three or four players until he gets to the point to shoot is pretty incredible. Any concerns about our finishing in this game generally? Because other than that, I don't think there's a hell of a lot to complain about really no i mean some of the chances jesus makes they're just 
he makes them himself. He gets yeah, a yeah. he gets an eight yard pass, turns on a sixpence, and runs at the defense, beats about twenty eight people, and then has a, a scuffling shot at the goalkeeper. You just think, cranky me, if you score that, that's gold a month sorted out. So but we immediately forget the, the, the four people he's left on the floor right? <laughs> previously. So um so I I'm not worried. I was Pretty worried about the game he played um, the previous game. Sorry, um, Leeds. Sorry, Leeds. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, I didn't see I didn't see the power. I didn't see him moving centre backs. And again, we've become so accustomed with the first eleven to fourteen, how they play, what they bring, how in charge of their actions they are, and they can really dominate their opponents. And he has been key to that. His physicality has really taken away my want for a tall forward because he's playing like one, right? So he's got the body, or he's he's moving people like a like a big forward would. And, and, and that's why I, I was always conscious of our physicality top end of the pitch. And he's bringing that and more. Leadership, intensity, pressing off the ball, carrying, shooting. So... I'm, I want to see that. When that's there, I'm all right because the team's all right. When that's not there, we get a little bit of leads. Do you know what I mean? Where we don't get exits, we don't control games, we're not playing in the areas we want. So that's number one. If he plays like that, that's fine. And the finishes are just around the corner, you know? So um, they'll be there the more often that he plays. But how he transmits back to our three leaders, what they transmit, the three of them, is impossible to miss. Now, what Shaka's doing, what Odegaard does, and what Jesus done, you cannot miss it. They are leading by example by how they play. And I, I, I'm not, I cannot stress this enough. But when a couple of them dip below, then we need other people to step up and carry the load, right? And um, Saka does that, Martelli does that. The defence is in good shape, particularly running backwards and where we play. And obviously, Thomas Party's new level. So we all know the makeup of this group. But he does put a little mm. bit of pressure on some of the players you wanted to assess earlier, particularly like Sambi and that. And you know, when I see Reese Nelson come on the last ten minutes last night, you know, fine, fine young player, academy graduate, gonna have a decent career. I'm not sure it's gonna be enough to carry us to the to the league title. Do you see what I mean? We no, I, do, I I do see what you mean. We've yeah. got to do something um, else in those situations, you know, and, and that's just the nature of development and evolution of a squad. I think the thing that encouraged me about this game generally, though, is this is a team that's supposed to be pretty decent in PSV. And, like, we saw again, they can't get the ball. They can't push us back. They can't get control. They can't break the press. They can't get out of their defensive third. We are suffocating teams. And overall, you know, you cannot have your shooting boots, but when you've got 25 shots to four, you don't need to have your shooting boots. Eventually, it goes for you. I thought there were just a lot of nice little performances in this game. We don't really have time to dig into it too much because we're almost out of time. Uh, we're up against a hard stop today. But what I will tell you is I think Matt Turner looks like a functional backup keeper now, and we should all be thankful for that because I'm not saying I want him starting Premier League games. Far from it. I'm saying that you know the the early calls of oh no we've got another runnerson i think are starting to to fade a little bit and i can understand coming from mls not having played a lot arsenal supporter you know overwhelmed overawed maybe now he's he's got his legs under him a little bit he when looks you a lot called more. him turner turnerson i thought that was low 
Yeah. Uh, it, well, t- to be fair, um, that's actually, I was talking about his brother, whose name is actually Turner Turnerson. It's just weird, <laughs> random, random factor. Five, Can I, quick, yep. Honestly, I, another player from, from being in the ground and people watching will know what I'm talking about here. He was really active in goal. And there was a situation that he did that I thought was unique. We had a free kick. And what he did, he sort of went behind the free kick in the second half. I'm not sure it was the first half, second half, sorry. And he was almost like directing the wall. We had a, we put a wall in front of their wall. And he was almost pointing the angle out. This is, it's very interesting. I'm not sure I'm describing that correctly. I don't know if you saw it on camera. But he was literally on the halfway line, directing the wall, move over, move over, and, and giving the goalkeeper's view from behind. I, you know, I did go, I, got, I took a bit of stick in Elliot for not, for encouraging him on, in our community. But I, for me, I think he's a really good character, really good player, potentially, that's going to get better. And I'll tell you now, we talk about, we talk about Sambi. So I'll tell you something, we talk about Sambi. And one of my fears is his engagement in the group. I have no such fears about Matt Turner. He looks well, let me say this. My, completely in the group. All of my fears about Matt Turner and how he looked initially were things you'd put down to nervousness, right? Like the ball would come to him and he looked yeah. like he was going to shit himself. And he doesn't look nervous anymore. And because he doesn't look nervous anymore, he looks like a, a perfectly functional goalkeeper, which is great because now I think that's just a little bit of anxiety we can take out of our mind a bit, which is great. Um, it's it's Southampton this weekend. And, you know, oh, by the way, just as a final point on the, the PSV thing, we're now in a position where if we get a draw away, we're through. It puts us in a position to play literally the academy against... Because we are yeah, through, we're through sorry, already. Yeah. We're already yeah. through. We're through top of the group. Thank you for pointing that out, which means we skip an extra round of Europa League, which means we can play the academy against Zurich, which is the game right before Chelsea away. So it all lines up pretty well if we can at least just get a draw uh, at PSV. Southampton this weekend, and every single metric about them, Paul says they are what they are, a below-average Premier League side. Mm-hmm. The only things that stand out in the data with them, they're very direct and they're very dribbly. Otherwise, this is a below-average team. Their press isn't what it used to be. They struggle to score. They struggle to create shots. They struggle to suppress shots. They're really bad defending set pieces. So it wouldn't surprise me, early call, if we get something from a set piece in this game. They have conceded a lot of XG from set pieces this season. Um, before we say goodbye, your thoughts mm. on what to expect from Southampton this weekend, uh, both in terms of whether you think we'll change the lineup at all and 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 how we'll perform. Um, I can't see any reason we will change the lineup substantially. Uh, interesting calls to make at the left back uh, position. So Tierney's just played. Uh, Zinchenko must be close to a comeback. I think he is. Uh, Tommy Yasu is still the still an option there because Ben White will want to start at right. So like left back will be interesting. Outside of that, I think almost everything picks itself. <clears throat> um, I am hoping that Southampton will have looked at the Leeds game and wrongly concluded the way to get at us away from home is to go back to pressing the BJs out of us. And I think they'll get taken apart if they try that. Yeah, um, I think this weekend, if we were playing Leeds, we'd take them apart too. We, we're not flying back from the North Pole after playing Bodo Glimt on the Thursday. It'll be a whole other ball of wax if they they try to, like, uh, um, what else have they got that we would be scared of apart from their older style pressing? So um, I think if they don't press us, they're in trouble. And if they do press us... Um, 
it won't be long before that crumbles for them. Um, I think we can get, uh, beat the BJs out of them and roll on to our next game. Uh, obviously, football, our, our competition isn't Southampton. It's the vagaries of football, the randomness, the, the weird calls, the the bad luck, etc. But we haven't been unlucky recently. I wouldn't say we've mm. been lucky either, but we haven't been unlucky. I would say this. The only thing to bear in mind, they are a very direct team and they <clears> dribble. <throat> and the one thing we know is at times our Achilles heel has been direct play, right? Over the back, stressing our, our back line. We're going to want to make sure we play, I think, our best fullbacks, at defending in 1v1. So if Zinchenko's not available, I expect it to be Tomiyasu and Ben White again because I think they're better at shutting down the edges. And I think we're really going to need to make sure that Gabriel and Saliba have had have done the work on the training ground with those long balls at direct play because they're going to be coming direct at us. But overall, I see a, a below-average team getting ready to face one of the best teams in the league, and I expect it to be you know, a, a good day for Arsenal. And maybe just maybe set pieces are the difference for us if it needs to be. Let's leave it there. Um, it's hard with these Friday pods because we want to get them out so that you can listen. So there's a lot more we could have covered here, but at the same time, by the time we get done talking, it could be kickoff already. So we'll just keep going. We'll have an instant reaction on Sunday. We got lots of stuff. Hey, I hope you will. If you want to do Patreon, that data review that, that Giant Gooner did is great. We, we've got a rewatch of the Leeds game. We've got the net gains interview with uh, Ryan O'Hanlon about analytics and football. We've got um, instant reactions. We've got fun stuff that, that I think you'll like, and we'd love to have you there or not, because we love to have you here. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my fans. Thanks, Pause. Woohoo! My name's Elliot Smith. You can buy me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10 Southampton. Nope.